For the past uh, several weeks, we've been in this series called The Whole Story, where we've just been uh, lifting up testimony, ways that God has been working in our lives and in our world, and then sharing those uh, reflections on it. Um, This morning, what I want to do is um, I want to give a bit of a testimony, a testimony of the last couple of months, of uh, last three months of of my own life, as I've come out of sabbatical, uh, this great, tremendous gift that the staff and elders uh, uh, presented to me earlier this year and the opportunity to step away from ministry for a bit, and I just want to give testimony to that. Let me, um, let me pray for us, and then uh, I'll jump into my, my story. God, I do thank you for all of the ways that you have shaped us and moved us and um, all of the ways that you have uh, gifted us. God, I thank you for those that um, faithfully week in and week out serve this body and help us to, um, to transform a, a cafeteria into a sanctuary And even as there's work for us to do, Lord, we know that it's not our work that does that. It's your presence. It's your presence that transforms any space into a sanctuary and any person into a follower of you. And so, God, I pray that the things that we've done so far, that you would take them, we surrender them into your hands, that you would take them and that you would transform them, God, and that even in these moments, the things that we've shared by video and uh, by prayer and by song, God, that they would find their ways into our souls and that we would be reminded that we're daughters and sons of you because of the work of Jesus, in whose name I pray. Amen. So this, um, this actually marks the very first sermon that, um, that I'm preaching uh, since coming back from sabbatical. Um, I shared months ago that um, what uh, my sabbatical was and the sabbatical announcement, and just to revisit that, I shared that it was going to be a season of rest and reflection and study, that these are often given to pastors by the church for the purpose of seeing the pastor have a time to recharge their spiritual and emotional batteries um, so that they may return to the church and to pastoral ministry with a renewed sense, uh, with a renewed spirit, renewed vision, renewed strength uh, for the ongoing ministry of the church. And uh, I spent two months um, resting and playing. And, and during those two months, the things that Jesus really reminded me of, and, and, and I, I just I want to sort of ratchet down the expectations as though I'm coming out of the mountain and then here's sort of the tablets for Christ City for the next decade. Like it's, like it's not, I'm going to share some things you're going to be like, that, <laughs> you went away two months and that's what he's coming back with. But I hope that you'll, that you'll receive it with the spirit-inspired uh, inflection with which I'm sharing. But the things that Jesus reminded me of during those months is that my rest in it is in him, and that my refreshment is in him, and that my delight is in him. And Jesus reminded me that, that he is the one, just as the passage out of Hebrews says, that he's the one that's able to identify with my weakness, that he's the one that's able to identify with my weariness. And that because of, because of his identification with me, it opens up possibility for me to be able to identify with him as his child. And that was the message that just continued to get needed into my soul over those two months. That he understands, and that he beckons, and that he woos, and that what he responds with is his mercy, and his grace, and his love, and his goodness. And for him to say to me, you are my child, and I love you. That he's the one that ultimately gives that which I desire. I want to share that with how I sensed this word from the Lord through a few different stories. The first one, um, I had a chance to, uh, went to Alaska and uh, with Nathan, uh, my oldest son, we did a father-son hike. 
And um, I've been thinking about this for a number of, uh, for a couple of years actually, of, of a ride of passage type hike and um, thought, you know, but this would be a, a good opportunity to be able to do that. So we uh, flew to Alaska and uh, we hiked the Kasugi Ridge, which is in uh, Denali State Park. And um, I knew that it was a rite of passage for Nathan. And so I told him, if you, if you live, you're a man. And if you die, you die. <laughs> and he's here. <laughs> Praise the Israel. I got to amen. We, um, uh, the, the goal of it was to hike. Uh, it was about a 20-mile loop um, up and down uh, the mountains of the Alaska Range. And initially, uh, the the other friends that we were hiking with, a father and son, Brian and Jacob, um, that we've known for years, family friends, initially we were going to start at one place and then end at another, so we left the car at one place and we're supposed to bike all the way to the, to the trailhead, which was itself a 20-mile bike ride. I've not ridden a bike since I was 12, <laughs> much less with a 40-pound pack. But now here's the thing that you should know uh, that Nathan and I actually, this quality that we share, we, we run into things with unmerited confidence. <laughs> Can you bike 20 miles with a 40 pound pack? Absolutely. <laughs> so we started off four miles in, Nathan and I are looking at each other like, bro, <laughs> we, we might not make it. <laughs> So at some point, we're like, hey, we're just going to abandon this process. We ditch the bikes. Our friend goes and gets the car and takes us. Now, this is Alaska, so you can sort of do this kind of thing. We hitchhiked and navigated our, our way over there. And it was interesting because it's not how you start a journey. It's not how you start. Wherever it is that you sort of started the journey of faith or life, it's not how you start. And so we, we said, man, life's too short. Be huffing and puffing on these bikes. So we kicked them to the curb and kept going with it. Um, and as we began to hike, we just, we, our hike began at, I think, 8.30 at night, because there's no night, it was uh, daylight for 24 hours, so we launch, and we just launch into this, just a new path and a new adventure. We've never done this before together as a dad and as a son. It's been years since I've done any backcountry hiking. And so we just, w with, our, with our preparation and our provisions and a trust in the Lord, we just navigate this trail. Through, um, through it, um, I had uh, letters for Nathan from different men in his life. Some of you wrote letters, those of you that have been um, discipling him in Kid City. Letters from his uncles and his grandparents and from his dad. And so each morning of the hike, I would give him a letter, we would pray, uh, or give him a couple letters, we would pray together, we would talk just about what God is doing, and we'd continue the, the journey. The last night that we were there uh, was cut short. We ended up in, in an amazing and torrential rainstorm and that's when I found out that my 15 year old tent was just not up for a an amazing Alaskan rainstorm all of our gear got wet and there was a massive puddle in our tent and we were there for 14 hours Nathan and I just cuddled up just thinking man how is this gonna how are we gonna navigate this and uh, it was at that point that we realized not only was all of our gear wet but so was all of the um, all of the letters that um, that folks had written to Nathan. And we didn't discover this until later. Um, but the letters actually held up. But they were, they were stained a little bit. And so they bear the marks still of the, of the trip. So when I learned that actually my, my Bible got soaked all the way through. It's a Bible that a friend of mine gave me when I first moved to D.C. That it was completely wet. But that they were okay. That they were saved. They were, they were preserved. 
it was in that spot that I just had this sort of sense, uh, this, this reminder that we're, that, we're, that we're wet and we're weathered, but that we're okay. Even when we're on this ridge and there's no one around, there's no other way for us to get out of this situation but to get up, strap up, and then move forward. I've not preached in a while, and I've never preached with this thing. My gear is falling out. This is about like that hike we were on. There was no place that we could be. There was no storm. There was no, as fog set in all around us, is the image that we have of the, of the fog that was just sort of around us. It's not our exact campsite, but one that looked quite like that. And I just had this sense that we, um, that we weren't alone. Psalm 139 came to mind for me. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness or the fog or the rain will hide me. The light become night around me. Even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. God was with us in the middle of that space. And I was nervous. Because I knew how far we had to go, and I knew that things were getting heavier. And I just wasn't sure, but God was with us. And our letters bear the marks of the storm, it's true. And our lives may bear the weathering of the world, but thanks be to God that he holds us, he sustains us, and he empowers us. And that when the storms clear, and they will clear, friends, it won't rain forever. We can say, let's keep moving. And so we got up and kept moving. Another story. I've been listening to a podcast. It's a storytelling podcast. I've been listening to it with the kids. It's called Point Mystic. It's kind of a fantasy, um, magic-y kind of story. And, uh, and one story that they tell their, their, um, their writers, and so one story that they tell is uh, about a woman who's car has sort of come to embody her life. And so the car rattles all the time. She goes and gets it fixed. It rattles all the time. She goes and gets it fixed. And uh, she gets it repaired, but then the, the, the rattle always comes back. She uh, coasts into a desert town in southern Colorado. And uh, it's a town that's actually known for miracles and healings. And so she coasts into uh, this one man's, um, in front of this one man's house, and he's a mechanic but he's also a, a healer, a, a, a gurandera, which is a traditional Mexican healer. And um, when she coasts in, the mechanic comes out and goes, let me guess, it was a miracle you made it here. And she goes, as a matter of fact, it was pretty, it was pretty dicey. So she says, you know, can you fix the car? And, and he, uh, day later, comes back and he says, listen, I've, I've fixed the car, but the problem's still there. I fixed the rattle, but not the problem. You see, there's a fear that you haven't faced. The town's healers, they were actually known for being able to pull out of people their fears and have them take shape in front of them so that they could either face them or be overcome by them. 
The mechanic tells the heroine in the store, he says, look, until you face your fear, you're going to always rattle. And she says, well, how do I face it? He says, you have to go to the desert and you stay there until you face it. Deserts have, uh, deserts and solitude, they've always been these liminal places in our faith for Christians. Jesus goes to the desert, and uh, when he goes to the desert, he has to face his accuser. The accuser challenges Jesus both at his level of identity and also his work. In Matthew 4, uh, we see the accuser saying this to Jesus. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. In verse 6, If you are the Son of God, then throw yourself down. And then in verse 9, he challenges his work. If you will bow down and worship me, then this other thing will happen. And then over and over what the accuser is always uh, testing and pushing and probing on and stirring up uncertainty in is in both our identity and also our work. I had the chance to spend a week in silence and solitude. It wasn't in a desert. It was in the Shenandoahs. Um, not a desert in D.C., so I didn't have that chance, so I just went to the, to the mountains again. It's a Trappist monastery in Berryville, Virginia, about an hour and a half outside of the city. And um, when you're silent and when you're alone, you have, to face, uh, uh, you have to face yourself. You have to face your own accusations. And my own internal accuser stirred up in me worry and anxiety and a magnification of perceived deficiencies. Am I good enough? Am I liked enough? The, the sense of the grip of the urgent that I don't think I'm the only one that wrestles with. Challenges of, of who I am and what I'm doing. And I remember the Spirit just really clearly as I was wake, making my way through uh, the Gospel of Matthew. The Spirit just said, you know that's not my voice, right? That's not my voice. That's not my voice. You're focused so much on Matthew 4, you've already forgotten Matthew 3. Verse 16, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water, and at that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him, and a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, in whom I'm well pleased. And it was just a, it was just a, a wrecking ball into the anxiety and the worry and those false narratives that come from someplace other than the Holy Spirit, and it was the Lord saying, You're mine, you're my son, you're my child. I love you, and that's enough. I love you, and you're mine. That message is not just for me. That I think for all of us, there's, there's narratives that we have in our mind, and I think what the Spirit may want to say to you is, that's not my voice that says that. And it may be tough for you to identify whether that's voices of, of your own making or if it's voices of the enemy. But at the, but at the end of the day, in either place, it's not the voice from the one who loves you and made you and says, I belong to you, you to me. Pete Scazzaro, a pastor up in New York who wrote Emotionally Healthy Leader, he was writing a book that I was reading through on the sabbatical, and he wrote this. He said, Jesus affirms to the disciples their activity of kingdom building. He says, what you're doing is good. But he also reminds them of something more important. In Luke 10, he says this, Don't rejoice that the spirits submit to you. Don't rejoice that you were able to be successful in ministry in one form or another. But rejoice that your names are written in heaven. 
In other words, what Jesus wants them to remember is that their joy comes from their relationship with him, not their achievements for him. And if this is true, which it is, then not only does our love not come from our achievements for God, but neither should we fear our failures because God's love is full and complete right now. Whether we knock it out of the park every day or we fail every single day, God loves you and that love is unchanging. His grace and mercy is poured out in abundance whether you achieve mighty things for God or you don't. That the message is still there. That you are his child and he loves you. Teaching of Jesus is simply that we abide in him that we rest in him, and that we remember who we are in him. Last story, again, in the mountains again. Um, Lisa and I had a chance to, uh, to hike the Appalachian Trail. Um, it was different than hiking in Alaska. It was hot and sticky, muggy, beautiful in its own way, but the vistas were different. Um, and uh, we had the chance to just, uh, we used to do a lot of hiking before and backpacking before the kids came along and then, um, and then we didn't do as much after that and now we thought we should, we should actually resurrect this, this practice. So I hiked the Appalachian Trail. Um, I still had the same 15-year-old tent that let me down in Alaska because I'm not one to quickly give up on something. I said, here's what we're going to do, Lisa. We're going to get a tarp and if we think it's going to rain, then we'll put the blue tarp over the top of this raggedy tent and we can still get one more hike out of it. That is a brilliant plan. It requires that you put the blue tarp up before it starts raining. <laughs> I did not. So again, the last night, we were rained out, completely wet again. I thought, Lord, really? Like, I thought I learned my lesson on the other trail. Like, I thought we had some new lessons here. So we're completely wet, rained out, we hike out, and then we stay the last night um, at uh, Big Meadow Lodge, which is uh, in the Shenandoah National Park. I didn't know that there was a lodge there, didn't know that it had been there since the 1920s, didn't know of its grandeur and its beauty and its history. It's got a, like a little bar underneath and it's got these amazing vistas. And it was like this place after sort of this long, sticky, hot, 20 mile rain on you hike, we arrive and then here's this mansion that's just there. And there's this bank of rocking chairs that, that no one, it's like, pick one, Watson. I sat in three different ones. <laughs> like, this one's good. Oh, let me get this one. And then from that vantage point, out the bank of windows, there's this other view that you can see. And what we're able to look out over is all of the places we've just come from that you can't see when you're covered in the green canopy that is the Appalachian Trail. After this hard work, after this slog, after things not going quite the way that you wanted to, but you're still up for it, at the end of it, there's this place where God is like, yes, I have a place of rest for you. I've set it aside just for you. Come and enjoy. Enjoy me. And look at where you've come from. For you grammarians, look from where you've come. <laughs> I, saw, I saw it. In that place, there's a, um, a spiritual practice that I'm going to carry with me. 
for the rest of my life. I'm going to share it with you. Every time I see a rocking chair, I'm going to sit down and remember the goodness of God. There's an airport, I think it is in Charlotte, that has rocking chairs. Sometimes I'm rushing. I'm going to plan ahead. Because every time I come to that place, I want to stop and sit down and remember the rest that comes from God. I want to have this right relationship with work and rest, as Hebrews 4 says. That there remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their work, just as God did from his. There is a rest. There is a, there is a Sabbath. And you don't need a sabbatical to learn this, but there is a Sabbath. There is a rest that keeps me, that, that sustains me, just as there is a rest that I need to keep, a right rhythm of work and rest. And I can't neglect that, and neither can you. And so as I come back from, from these a couple of months away, it, it really is that. To, to continue to center in uh, the truthfulness of what God's voice sounds like. To, to remember well that whatever storms that I find myself in, that I'm not alone, and they won't last forever. And that sense that, um, that God is, is a God of rest. He's a God of embrace. He's a God of love. He's a, he's a God that reminds me of who I am. And that's it. As I think through sort of these different movements, whether it be far-flung places of Alaska or closer-flung places here around Virginia, that that's the message that has been needed into my soul. That... Um, that at the end of it, my, my rest and my hope and my identity is, is in God. And that is all I have to share with you at any point as your pastor, is to remember who you are in Jesus and his embrace of you and the unwavering love that he has over you.